0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Uh, I'm going to start off by uh, confession. Um, you know, as a preacher, if you ever want people to pay attention, just start confessing sin and, uh, and people will pay attention. And uh, I share this. I'm hoping that you'll be gentle and, and you'll relate to me here, but... Uh, I, I, I had an issue uh, in, early in my marriage with my anger. I know there's no other guys that can relate to anger problems. Um, thankfully, it wasn't... Sorry, I'm just going to grab my water while we're talking here. Thankfully, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anger with Dessa, my wife, but I did have an anger problem with inanimate objects that didn't do their job properly. <laughs> And so, you know, those were the days of where your computer locked up all the time. So I had many times of smashing my keyboard trying to get it to work. Or like, if, like if you hit more keys, maybe it'll start working or something. Uh, but in this one time, Dustin came home and uh, she saw that our our, our fan, you know, the, the, uh, air, that moves air, that kind of fan, uh, it had uh, been, it was like taped back together and like with, with uh, <laughs> and had rubber bands involved or something. And she was like, what happened to the fan? And so I had to confess that I had thrown it across the room (laughs) because it wasn't doing its job properly. But uh, I used to kind of joke about this story in the Bible where Jesus, uh, there's a fig tree, and there's no figs on it, and so he curses it. And uh, I wasn't really serious, but I would joke about how, hey, Jesus cursed the fig tree, so it's okay to be mad at something that's not working. (laughs) I'm uh, kind of joking with my wife. Of course, she didn't accept that. And, uh, and, and she was right. That's not what that story is about. But we're going to be looking at that story today. And so, if you wondered, what is the story of the, why did Jesus get mad at the fig tree? Actually, there's kind of a theme of Jesus getting mad in, in, in the, the things that we're looking at today. They're all kind of in the same spot in Matthew. Um, so, the title of the lesson is Clash of Kingdoms, uh, but the title of the lesson could also easily be Why is Jesus so mad? or or uh, or what's up with jesus or something like that so uh just to kind of let you know where we are in case you're 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 uh, new to the group or just kind of joining in just tuning in we're doing a series called god with us that's based on the book of matthew and uh Ma- matthew gives the, Jesus's jesus uh the name when jesus is born they, they shall give him the name emmanuel which means god with us and so this concept of 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 God becoming human and being among us is a fulfillment of a lot of Old Testament scripture and a lot of Old Testament prophecy that God himself would dwell among us. And that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And this kingdom that that Jesus brings is not the kind of kingdom that was anticipated or expected. And that's kind of a continuing theme in Matthew. And it's a kingdom that's for everybody, even the outsiders um, and even people like you and like me. Uh, on the screen there, if you didn't know, that's a picture of somebody getting baptized. It's actually my daughter's baptism, uh, Cora, uh, there on the beach. But God dwelling among us is the idea of this uh, series that we've been looking at, the book of Matthew. and We've been using the Bible Project map. This is uh, kind of where we've been, and the Bible Project guys have, have realized that there are five main sections in in the text. So there's an intro section in chapters 1 through 3, and then there are these five main sections which really line up to the book of Moses because one of the things that Matthew is doing as an author is showing how Jesus is like Moses. He's like a new Moses. And this is all in the Bible Project video if you want to get more into that. But last week we were on this part here, talking 14 through 20, and each section has different things that happen, different interactions Jesus has, and then like a long section of Jesus' teaching. So each one of these squares... Sermon on the Mount, the Sending of the Twelve, parables about the kingdom, or, and teaching about the upside-down kingdom. They, these are like the, the long section of teaching that's at the end of each passage. So today, we're on this one, Clash of Kingdoms and the things that happens, and then there's a long section of, of teaching, uh, chapters 23 through 25. So we're zooming in on that, the Clash of Kingdoms, as Jesus is talking about uh, what, what, the, what God's kingdom should be like and, and, and what it shouldn't be like, and, and the contrast between what was happening in in religious Jerusalem. Uh, So be turning your Bibles over to Matthew 21. That's where we're going to be. I'm going to say a a prayer as you're turning there, and then we will uh, jump into things. God, thank you so much for the privilege of opening your scriptures today. Thank you to be able to sing songs to you. I like that last song, God. It is your breath in our lungs, God, just as you breathe Life into Adam, and he became a living being. God, we believe that you breathe life into our lives and into our um, stories, and uh, you, you even where we have died spiritually or where um, we have uh, become hardened or, or you know, deceived by sin. God, you breathe new life into us when we connect to you and come near to you. And I pray that that can be what happens today, God. That just even as a church, we can come near to you and hear your voice. I pray that you would speak to all of us from your scriptures and from the person of Jesus and for what he's doing. God, please don't let me get in the way of anything that your spirit wants to convey to this church and just use us to fulfill your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So that's where we are in Matthew, and Matthew is amazing. I'm just gaining a lot more appreciation for Matthew as an author and how you see these themes in each one of those sections, but I want to also show you where we are Physically uh, on the map, so I try my my laser pointer Unfortunately, it works on the ground, but it doesn't work there because it just gets lost in all that light (laughs) So so yeah, I just have to kind of point and and maybe I'll get a really long pointer to use for for these kinds of things But um, so so Jesus he was from Nazareth if you see that it's about you know Kind of up near near the top there and and his ministry was in the Sea of Galilee, which is up there and, and he's going to be coming into Jerusalem in the stories that we're looking at today. But a lot of times, uh, this is important because when we think about Jesus in, in Jerusalem, and we, we, we think about Jesus being, uh, like his ministry maybe even being in Jerusalem. It wasn't. It was only in Jerusalem. He was only really in Jerusalem during certain festivals. Uh, but, and, then, and then especially during that last week, Holy Week, which is the week that he was killed. And that's where we're starting the story today is the beginning of Holy Week. But, but so he spent most of his time up, up in, in, in Capernaum and, 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 and Bethsaida and the Sea of Galilee and, and that area up there. And, and uh, this area was an area where, where a lot of religious Jews were and Jews that really didn't agree with what was happening with either Rome and Romans, Roman occupation or with even the religious establishment of the Jews, which was down in, in Jerusalem down here. So, Jesus had, uh, you know, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he never really lived in Bethlehem. He just was born there and then he went to Egypt and then back to Nazareth, is where he's from. So, this is about 80 miles between Jerusalem and where he was from. So, you know, a a few days on foot uh, of journey, and he would, all the Jews would come to Jerusalem for these certain festivals, these certain times of the year, they would all come together. So, Jesus would come. For those, and then that, and that's what's happening. uh, When we're going to start reading, is he's coming to Jerusalem for Passover. Um, In Jerusalem, there 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 are people known as the Sadducees, and then the Pharisees are really scattered all over. But uh, up where Jesus was was a real headquarters for for Pharisees. And Pharisees and Sadducees are really different. I mention those because both groups are 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 addressed by Jesus in these chapters that we're going to look at today. And I don't have time to give you all the background, but really quickly, the Pharisees were, the, the word Pharisee comes from a, a word which means set apart, and they, they really wanted to, to be different, they wanted to, to, to see the Jewish people as not like the nations, not like the Romans, and, and they were very, very dedicated to the study of scriptures, to the scriptures themselves, even memorizing, they memorized the Old Testament. Uh, even as children, they, they would memorize the Old Testament, first five books, of the Bible memorized. It's kind of amazing to imagine. And so a lot of what the Pharisees were about was the text and and, and digesting it, commenting on it, building all kinds of laws and traditions to make sure that you follow it. And so that's the, the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the people that had power and wealth. And they were all from the same family uh, that descended from Zadok, uh, the high priest at the time uh, where the kingdom split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And and so they, they, they held on to... they hoarded wealth, they hoarded power, there was a lot of corruption and uh and they were religious as well but not like the Pharisees and they were kind of in cahoots with the Romans in a lot of ways. And so that's who's down in Jerusalem is the Sadducees hold power down there. So so that's kind of who who the people groups are that that, that so the Pharisees know Jesus because he's been among them for 3 years. The Sadducees don't really know Jesus. So when he comes into Jerusalem, you're going to see them say who is this guy? And then the crowds explain to him, and that, that's the people who Jesus has been working with. Does that make sense? So that kind of gives you the context and the background. So Jesus, in, in Matthew 21, comes into Jerusalem. So they, they've made a journey down. He just healed a blind man in Jericho, and now they're coming into Jerusalem. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the, the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say the daughter Zion, see your kingdom comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, Matthew starts using a lot of Old Testament passages in, in, in these chapters because a lot of stuff is happening uh, theologically. Um, Jesus is fulfilling these old old prophecies about who the Messiah would be. And he even comes in on a donkey. So it it just mentions that he's here and he's about to come into Jerusalem from from here and and he's riding in on a donkey. So then he comes in, uh, brought a, uh, verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought a donkey, the colt, and placed their coats on it for Jesus to sit on. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the hev- in the highest heavens. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So a whole lot is happening here. We could easily spend the whole sermon just talking about this story. We'll, we'll have to save that for another time. But, uh, but Jesus is... Uh, uh, he's coming as a Messiah, and, and that's why they're using Messianic um, language. They're, what they're singing here, if you look in your footnote, it'll give, you know, somebody's done the hard work for you, and, and they'll, you can go and read it. It's Psalm 118. Psalm 118 was a song about the Messiah. And so when they say uh, Hosanna, it's been transliterated, but it means Lord save us. And But when you say Hosanna, when you say Lord save us, it's, it's almost saying come Messiah, because like, the Messiah is the Savior. So, so it's, a, it's a call to the Messiah. It's a, it, it's a, 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 a praise of the Messiah. And, and then the, the, uh, the Palm Branches thing that they're doing is, that's uh, a different festival. It's not Passover, which is the pe- festival that they're coming into town from, but they are using imagery from this other uh, festival called the Festival of Booths, or the Festival of Tabernacles, and that's where the people would live outside the city in these booths. But the, 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 the palm branch is a sign of uh, the Messiah and, and the zealots who believed in overthrowing the Romans. The palm branches was their symbol because it was for overthrow. So there's something political happening. And again, I can't go too into it because I want to get into the fig tree stuff. But uh, there's something politically happening here that, that you could do some research on where, where it's, it's saying, I'm establishing a new government. I'm establishing a new kingdom. I'm establishing a new order that, that Jesus is saying. So, but it's kind of covert, it's not, he, he's coming on a donkey, and he has no army, and you know, and so it, it's this, it's this thing that's happening, it's kind of like his birth, it's, it's very similar, I think Matthew's doing something similar to with his birth, where here he's being, the angels are, are lauding it, and it's, it, all, all of heaven is overwhelmed, but the king misses it entirely, like, like, the establishment misses entirely what God is doing, which is this king being born. It's similar to that, here's a king being established, does that make sense? So, uh, Jesus. now here's what Jesus does immediately when he comes in. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the t- children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Those are the Sadducees, the people that held power and money. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, O Lord, you have called forth praise. He left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. So a great, great Bible study is just reading these. Jesus is quoting three different passages here. Uh, Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 7 and Psalm 8 and you can you can read it in your, in your footnotes there if, of your Bible. A great Bible study is going back and, and looking at those texts because whenever Jesus directly quotes something, it's like he's bringing all of that context. He's bringing all that is in those passages into this moment and and saying, you know, bring there's so many parallels and so many things that he's doing. But I want to help you understand what was happening at the temple at the time and kind of, because we don't really, we hear this, we don't understand what's going on. What is Jesus doing? In one of the Gospels, it says he made a whip out of cords and he's driving everyone out, driving out all the animals, yelling, get these out of here. Um, So here's what was happening. So the temple had kind of... um, dimensions to it. The, 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 the second temple that, that uh, ha, had been built and Herod had added onto. it was really extravagant temple, but there was these outer courts, and it was known as the court of the Gentiles. So that when it talks about the, the temple courts, it's talking about that outer area. So everyone was supposed to be allowed into there, Jew, Jew and Gentile. And the point of that was to allow access to God. And so if you look, let's, let's just go ahead and look real quickly at Isaiah 56 that's the first of these verses that he quotes. <clears throat> it's kind of right in the middle of your Bible if you want to flip over there with me or you can just listen. But, but uh, that the context is foreigners being able to come near to God. For example, like in, in, in 56 verse 3, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no unit complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, and, and, and he, he wants to give them uh, membership in his kingdom. So who, those people that it's talking about are the people that are only in the temple courts. Eunuchs weren't allowed in uh, to the temple. The foreigners weren't allowed into the temple. But, but God wants those people to still be a, a part of his, what he's doing, and, and eventually he would, he would pull them in. So that's what's happening in, uh, in uh, 56. Verse 7 is the direct thing he quotes uh, these I will bring to my holy mountain, verse 7, and give them joy in my house of prayer. And, and continuing on, he's talking about uh, true religion and what, what, what true religion should be like. It goes on for, for chapters, like if you skip over to chapter 58, uh, it talks about true fasting, verse 6 chapter 58, verse 6, Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, and break every yoke? It is, not, is it not to share your food with the hungry provide poor for the wanderer? And on and on. So what Jesus is saying, so let me tell you what had happened. So instead of the temple courts being this place everybody could come and encounter God, the temple courts became like Costco, like that kind of a feel, you know you can't park. You know you you know you're you're trying not to be mad, but some people really enjoy this place. So why can't I enjoy it too? You know I don't know, but it was this this like it was a market, and w- the reason was is because they didn't allow any foreign money into the temple. So everybody's using Roman currency. So you gotta first you gotta exchange your currency. So. That's what he's talking about, the money changers. You're exchanging your Roman currency for other currency that you could use to give your gifts to the offering or do whatever you need to do. Maybe it's to buy a sacrifice. So you gotta, first you've got to take your money, you've got to change it for Hebrew money, then you've got to go over there and get your sacrifice. Because these, with these festivals, you would go to, to the temple to do your sacrifices, and rather than bring a goat or bring a dove or bring a bull or bring something from where you were way up somewhere else you know, they they would uh, go and and they would just bring money and then buy something there. And all of this whole system was run by these Sadducees, these people that had power, and it was all very corrupt. So they're skimming off the top. They're not giving good exchange rates. They're taking advantage of people that are trying to worship and trying to make this money-making thing. Does that make sense? So that's what made Jesus mad, and he's saying, you're not doing what what the temple is meant to do. The temple is meant to be a place where people can get to know God. Even outsiders, even foreigners and aliens and eunuchs and people who aren't normally allowed in. This temple court area, this is their space to encounter God and you've made it into a market. Does that make sense from Isaiah 56? If you read all these chapters, you'll get way more out of it, believe me. It's so good. Here's another thing that he's doing in Jeremiah 7. Turn over there real quick. There is so much good stuff here, guys. I just, I wish I had more time, you know. But Read it all on your own. It's so good. Okay, Jeremiah 7. So Jeremiah, Isaiah and Jeremiah, these are both classic prophets, amazing books. Jeremiah 7 is known as the temple address uh, of of Jeremiah. In verse 1, Jeremiah 7, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. So he's right there where Jesus is, right in that same spot in the temple courts, at the gate, right? And so the message is, Hear the word of the Lord, you people from Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow... Do not shed innocent blood in this place, and you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. Where this is in the timeline of God's people is they're most likely going to be going into exile because they refuse to repent. And and, and they're kind of getting one more chance here. But what they're doing is they're trusting. Instead of changing their hearts, instead of caring about other people, like he mentions the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, they are putting their hope in their religion. They're saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple, like we're doing the right things. We belong to the right religion. We're following the right rituals. And so that makes us okay. It doesn't really matter how we treat people. We have the right doctrine. We believe the right thing, you know, that that kind of thing. That's what was happening. And so then he said, he goes on and says in verse 11, has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you. But I have been watching, declares the Lord. So you see what what Jesus is talking about, right? Now, when when he's saying, you've made this place a den of robbers, You're, you're fulfilling what Isaiah talked about. You're fulfilling what Jeremiah talked about, or you're not fulfilling what Isaiah talked about, which is it should be a house of prayer for all nations. Instead, you're doing what Jeremiah talked about, and you made it a den of robbers. So that's what Jesus is concerned about, about these religious people. Then you continue on in verse 18. Here we'll get to the fig tree part. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately, the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? They asked. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go. Throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So here's how the fig tree relates to this. Uh, this is from um, a professor named Nick Zola. He's a friend of mine who is at Pepperdine. He was baptized in our in our church down in San Diego many many years ago, uh, and, uh, and now he's a, now he's a, a, a professor at Pepperdine. Um, and I was asking about about. Mark 11 has, also has a story of, of the fig tree. And so he, he's going to explain it from Mark 11 and the fig tree. He says, you're probably familiar with Markin sandwiches, where Mark sandwiches one story inside of another. The technical term is intercalation. The Mark 11 sandwich is my favorite. Jesus curses the fig tree on his way to Jerusalem, but nothing happens yet. Then he gets to Jerusalem and clears the temple. Then the next morning, the disciples discover the withered fig tree, Compare the order to Matthew, where the tree withers instantaneously. There are strange clues, like it isn't time for figs, that are supposed to tell you there's more going on to this story than a little hangry temper tantrum. The fig tree and the temple episode are connected. Jesus is doing the same action in both cases, and the tree represents the state of the temple. Leafy green on the outside, but not bearing fruit. Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the temple itself. It will wither like the tree. There is more going into it, like Jeremiah 7, where it's Jesus' quotes in its original context of the Babylonian destruction, but that's the gist. It's a fun lesson because it makes sense of an otherwise enigna- enigmatic passage. Why would Jesus curse a tree when he can make food out of thin air? So, uh, so yeah, so, so what he's talking about with the Mark and Sandwich, so each of the Gospel writers, chronology wasn't really important in the ancient world like it is to us. Like, wait, did that happen first, or did this happen first, or what's the order? It's more... It's more about kind of theological principles that matter. They they're not even concerned with this happened and then that, or this and then that. So so Mark and Luke, Mark and uh, Matthew, tell the story a little differently. In Mark, he curses the fig tree, then he cleanses the temple, then the fig tree is shown as withered. So Professor Nixola is is saying that's showing you Mark. Every time Mark is doing that, he's showing you these two things are connected. So Jesus is a rabbi, and rabbis always always use. Uh, analogies, or things they could point to, or, you know, it's like a tree, it's like a stream, it's like this farmer, it's like this king, you know, right, that's that's the rabbinical teaching, and you recognize that in the teaching of Jesus. So this fig tree is representing the the, the Jewish system, the the, the religious system, the Sadducees, the people who held power, the people who were in charge, and, and they weren't producing fruit. They weren't doing what they were meant to do. They weren't fulfilling God's plan for the temple. And so that, that's that's how the two are related. Do you, do you guys buy it? What are you guys saying? It makes sense to me, you know, and I think it really makes sense as you read more of Matthew and what, what he gets into with some of these stories that Jesus tells when he confronts them. So what does this mean for us? What is Jesus even confronting, and how does it relate to us? We don't have time to look into all of these stories, but he tells these different stories that are clearly um, are about the religious establishment and what they're doing, and, and, and why, you know, you know why there's a problem. Why he drove them out of the, of the temple? First, they're asking him about his authority and what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? And so he's telling these stories. Look, look like for example in in twenty one verse uh, thirty one, he's explaining the story he tells. He says, "Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you." This is to the religious leaders, to the guys who are in charge. Then he tells another story about a vineyard, and, and this is, a, you know, reflecting back to, to a story in the in the Old Testament where Jesus God talks about his vineyard, and that would be his people, and he flips the story because they expect it to be about the Romans, uh, but really, then Jesus says it's about them. So like in verse 45, chapter 21, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they didn't they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So, okay, so, so this parable he's telling, they think it's about the Romans, then it ends up actually being about them. And look what he says right before this, verse 43. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Everyone on whom it falls will be crushed. So there's, again, there's so much here. But again, we're talking about fruit, right? The the fig tree was cursed. Why? Because it had no fruit. Jesus drives everyone out of the temple. Why? Because they're not bearing fruit. They're not helping the the nations. They're They're not fulfilling God's mission, which was to bring goodness to the world, to bring a blessing to all the nations. That was God's promise to Abraham. They weren't fulfilling that. Instead, they were taking advantage of people. They were stealing people's money. They were building their own kingdom instead of building God's kingdom, right? So they, they weren't producing fruit. So there's Jesus is bringing judgment on this system. He's bringing judgment and saying, God is going to take away the kingdom from you and give it to people who will produce its fruit. In fact, who is it? It's the tax collectors and the sinners. It's the nobodies. It's the people that you discount. Those are the ones who are going to be receiving the kingdom. And the thing about the stone that's also in the text here in, in in 21 of the stone the builders rejected so the, the the builders are building this temple and they go oh i don't really like that stone we're not going to use that one that has become the capstone that has become the cornerstone so Jesus is talking about that being himself he becomes now the cornerstone rejected by the establishment but now the cornerstone of this new movement and he says anyone on if you if if you fall on the stone you will be broken in other words like if you fall at, if you Surrender yourself to Jesus as Lord. It breaks you, but it heals you. But if, it fall, if God's judgment falls on you, you'll be crushed. So there's a lot of deep stuff here. But what does this mean for us? I think for me as a church leader, this is just so sobering. And so, it just makes me tremble. I, I God forbid that we ever have a church that is not accomplishing God's will. You know, God forbid that we ever have a church where we're all out for ourselves, or we're taking advantage of people, or we're even just trying to look after our own comfort. It just, it scares me. You know, I think, what would Jesus say if he were a guest speaker today? Would he drive people out, or would he be like, you guys are doing a great job, you know? That's a convicting thought, and I just, that's the only thing that matters, right, is doing doing it God's way. That's the whole reason we're here, and yet I think these same things, that crept into the hearts of the Pharisees, that crept into the hearts of the Sadducees, can creep into our hearts. So that's why Jesus was always telling his own guys, watch out. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the greed and self-indulgence that can creep into our hearts. We've got to watch out for that. Um, as he continues, again, these are great passages. We don't have time to read all of them, but like in chapter 23, verse 12, he, he's uh he says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this principle of, I want to humble myself instead of trying to build my own thing. I want to fall on the stone instead of being broken by the stone. And then he talks about the, the, these, the, the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees. He says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, verse 13. And, and everything that you're doing is about yourself. Like if you skip down to 23... Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. That's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, both groups. You hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And, you know, read this whole passage. I mean, it sounds like Jesus is really mad. You know, it sounds like he is, I mean... All of these, woe to you, you do this, woe to you, you do that. He is bringing judgment on the religious establishment of his time. And, uh, and it's because they were caring more about themselves than about people. And, and they were ritualistic. Here he says, you're doing all these things, you're really careful. Like, like they had a, the idea that you need to tithe. That's a good idea. They were so careful about tithing that they would have a little plant that has like, you know, spices growing on it. Like I picture my little mint plant at home or my little basil plant. Oh, I got to make sure I tithe everything. So, I, a tithe of even those little bits of that herb, you know, because I want to follow all the rules. And so Jesus says, You're careful to, to follow these rules, but you're neglecting the important matters of the law. And, and, and he, you know, he quotes Micah 6:8 justice, mercy, right? What, what does God require of you, Micah 6:8? to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's the important thing, and you're missing that. But if we're not careful as religious people, and most of us here are religious people, the same thing can happen to us. Where it becomes about, we're, you know, we belong to the right church, or we teach the right thing, or we have the right doctrine, but how are we really treating people? How do we really, you know, what, what is our real heart towards others? Uh, you know, and, and do we do we reflect uh, the teaching that Jesus was talking about on the Sermon of the Mount. So so this isn't about trying to please God or that so God will like you. God, these were God's chosen people, but it was what are they doing with that special position that they have? Like if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, I'm not talking you know, this is kind of some hard teaching that Jesus is bringing, and I don't want you to say, oh, Jesus doesn't like me, or, or, or I, I'm, 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 I'm judgment is coming on me because I'm not doing the right things. Like God already loves you, right? But what are you going to do with that love? What do you do with that chosen uh, status that you have? And are you using it to bless the world? Do, do we have temple courts that are a blessing to the world? That's the question I'm asking myself. So two things, just kind of a practical, we can take away. A warning and an encouragement. You know, the warning is, are you building your kingdom or are you building God's kingdom? That's the warning I take from this. You know, I want to make sure that I am building God's kingdom with everything that I do and not my own. I'm not trying to make a name for myself or a house for myself or or build up my own wealth or my own comfort. That's what the Sadducees were doing. They were even using religion to build up their own situation. But, But with Jesus, it's all about loving people. If your walk with God and your religion is not about loving people, then it's not Christianity. Because that's what Christianity is. It's about loving God and loving people. Religion can be about all kinds of things. Ritualistic behavior, obedience, even sacrifice. But if it's not about love, it's not real Christianity. And Matthew 25, if you want to see more evidence of this, you know, the next couple chapters, as it gets into 25, he says, that's what separates the sheep from the goats, that's what separates those who are with God forever and those who are shut out of the presence of God forever is how you treat people, how you treat others. Jesus says, "How you treat others is how you treat me." Well, that's convicting, and you know, and uh, and I want to. It makes me go. I, I got to treat people better. I got to be more consumed with people. I got to love people more. But here's the encouragement. The encouragement is, you are the light of the world. Like God has chosen us for the purpose of blessing all the nations, and and for being a light of the world. And so this is, with all this teaching of Matthew, I I, I like looking at this and then looking back at the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the the judgment he brought on the Sadducees, the people who had power, the people who had wealth, the people who were in authority, contrast that with what he says about the nobodies in Matthew 7. He says, God's favor is on you. God's favor is on you who are poor. God's favor is on you who, you know, are mess-ups. Right? God's favor is on you who are just trying to get by, but you're struggling. God's favor is on you who, uh, you know, things aren't working out. You've suffered great loss. Blessed are those who mourn. Right, that, that, That's who God has chosen. And he says right after that, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. There's something about in our own brokenness coming to God and surrendering that is a light to the nations. It's a light to the world. Uh, and that's what our, our church should be about, is inviting people into that relationship with God. Inviting people into that understanding of the kingdom. That it's not, uh, it's not about making up our own, building up our own kingdoms. It's about uh, God's kingdom and his presence and his, his uh, rule and reign on this earth. So that's what the temple is meant to be. It's this place where people encounter God. And in, in the New Testament, what's the temple? What's the temple now? The church, the family of God, is now the temple. The the physical temple that Jesus was at, where all this happened, it was destroyed a few decades later. And as he prophesied it would be in chapter 24 right here, you can read. But the the temple now is the dwelling for God's spirit is us. It's right here. It's God among us. It's God with us. And, And so when people see our temple courts, do they... Are they welcomed in? Are they invited in? Are they, are they are, you know, or, or are we kind of exclusive? That's, the, that's the, what I'm, as a church leader, that's what I'm wrestling with. Like, I want to make sure that we're like a beacon call to the lost and, and to the hurting and to, and to people who, who want to encounter God. Like, I'm afraid sometimes when people see, let me just say Facebook, you know, when people see our interaction on Facebook, are they seeing that? Are they seeing Christians that love each other or are they seeing like political fighting? right? Or, 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 or people even leading with their political ideas. Jesus had some real political followers. I mean, he had a zealot. He had a tax collector. Judas was most likely, came from the Essenes. He had some really strong politics, but that's not what they led with. They led with this new kingdom and God and his, you know, like that's our community. We, we should hold different ideas. That's what makes our community beautiful, is that we have different ideas but we're, we're all together building a new kingdom, a new space. Like When people encounter our temple courts, brothers and sisters, we want them to see a beacon call to God and not division and not, you know, striving for comfort or financial security or these things that, that can, can, can get to our hearts. Uh, we need to point people to the kingdom of God. We need to be a house of prayer. So I thought a practical thing would be like, even with people that you encounter at your work or in your school or in your neighborhood, to ask that question, hey, how can I pray for you? You know, I thought about being a house of prayer. I thought we should pray more for the people of our community. So I want to give you that challenge to invite invite someone uh, to allow them, to, you know, invite someone to uh, allow you to pray for them, you know, this week. Like think of somebody you can ask that just that. That's not a very th- threatening question, just, Hey, you know, how can I pray for you? I, I want to I start praying for you. What can I pray? And, and if you'll take that challenge, I, you know, that, that's that's the kind of community we want to build is a house of prayer. Um, so there's a, there's a slogan that we use in our church, connect, change, thrive. I just want to remind you of that. What that means is we want to help people connect to God in worship when they come to church. We want to help them to connect to our small groups in friendship. You know, we want to connect them to a, a friendship and help people to have a chance to see the experiencing experience the change that comes through a relationship with jesus the transformation so that they can thrive and really live the life jesus designed for them to live that's the church that we want to be and another way to say it is belong believe become like we want to be a church where people can belong before they even believe think about that like, you you belong here. You're one of us. Like, we want you, you know, yeah, you're wrestling. You don't know if you believe in God yet. You don't know if you believe in Jesus yet. You don't know what you believe about the Christian ethic, moral ethic yet. You're not sure you're ready to sign on. That's all right. You can still belong here as you gain your faith and as you learn to believe, and then as you eventually become, as you become a disciple, as you become a follower of Jesus, as you become someone that then will, will pass it on. So as we take communion uh. I want to look at, at, and I'm stealing a little bit of Rhett's, Rhett's uh, preaching from 26 to the end next week. I'm stealing a little bit of it. I just want to read this uh, story that what happened right after what we just read about. As he confronts them in the temple courts, as he uh, has all this interaction with the religious establishment, uh, pronounces all these woes, tells these stories about them, says judgment is coming, says this temple will be destroyed. I mean, all of this like conflict and this clash of kingdoms, Then he finally gets his guys together and has this moment where, you know, it's it's this special night together, celebrating the Passover together. In one of the, 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 the stories, he says, I've longed to eat this meal with you. I've just so looked forward to this. And then at the end in verse 26, Matthew 26, 26, when they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he would given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So that meal they celebrated together, him and these, these a group of nobodies, you know, in the shadow of the temple and the establishment and all the power and everything, you know, all of that conflict, they just gather together and have a meal. And Jesus says, I want you to remember what I'm doing. And that this is something, this is a new kingdom. It's a new covenant. It's a new way of belonging. And that's what we do. That's why we're here. That's why we're here on Sundays is to, to celebrate the same meal together. It might look a little different. This isn't my favorite way to do it. You know, this kind of COVID way that we're doing it right now. But, uh, but it's still the same meal. It's still the same body and, and blood given for us, the same bread and wine that we participate in. So let's pray together and, and celebrate this meal together. Oh God, I, I just uh, pray you forgive us for the ways that our hearts can be like the Pharisees or Sadducees and just desiring our own comfort, building our own kingdom, uh, getting focused on things that are not of this world, you know, that are of this world instead of on your your focus that's not of this world. And um, God, thank you for the reminder of, of Jesus's passion and his heart for the, the lost and his heart that the church would be what the prophets prophesied, that the, the kingdom would, would be a light to all nations. And I pray that we can be that here in the South Bay Church, God, that, that, that we can kind of get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the community around us and how we can really be a blessing to those around us. I pray that we can be known as a house of prayer. Forgive me for my prayers being too selfish and, much, and too much about me. And I want to pray more for my neighbors and my friends and, and, and for those I'm reaching out to. And um, God, I pray that you bless this time of remembering Jesus and his body and blood given for us and, and you know what happened right after this as he died on the cross and then was risen from the dead and how that's the whole reason we, we do what we do and the whole reason we can have eternity with you. Bless this time of remembrance and reflection, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.